Yeah, so I talk about that in my book. So I say this, there's only two kind of ways that you can stifle innovation, right? One is through regulations, which governments can do. Well, the U.S. can't do properly. Yeah. I'm not commenting (laughs) on that, you know. I, I am a proud American. I love America, so I don't comment negatively on the U.S. Cut. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's first and largest podcast dedicated to blockchain and crypto assets. Today, we focus on distrust and what it means to live in a world of genuine, fake, and fraudulent trust. In a world where every day you are surrounded by information that directs your decision-making and purchasing habits, how can you be sure what you are basing your decisions on are real? Me and Nick are joined by Damu Winston, author of I Don't Trust You, But Blockchain Will Help. But before we start, I really want to give a shout out to two of our sponsors, CBX, which is a multinational exchange with clients in over 50 countries. Not only does it have a delightful experience, but it's always a benefit to personally know the founders of CBX who have quite an experienced background in financial markets. And so I place a great faith in the operations and security of this exchange. What's more, CBX regularly has new project listings and many promotions. And just by having an account, you'll be entered into the airdrops program on a weekly basis. So I invite you all to check them out at cbx.one to trade your cryptocurrencies. Our second sponsor, Dribble.com. Jibbrol.com provides a blockchain-native alternative investment platform that enables investors to connect with startups and other small to medium enterprises in a novel manner that enables improved capital formation. The platform provides access to global liquidity, enables higher transparency for investors, and increases reach available to startups. For more details or to apply for early consideration, please visit www.jibbrol.com. I'd really like to thank those who have been supporting the show. And remember, you can support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate, and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to a brand new episode of Encrypted. Today, we have myself and Ahmed Albalagi, co-host on the podcast. Say hello. Hello, Nick. Thank you for introducing the episode today. You're welcome. It's a really, really big task for you. I know that. I know. <laughs> you were like shivering before you came on. You were yeah. laughing a lot. Always, man. Always. I'm, I'm in awe of your capabilities. Thank you. And I, I knew one day I had and to like, give you the torch. Yeah. Our special guest today is Damu Winston. He is an author. He's a blockchain expert. And he is very technical. So we're hoping to do a technical discussion around blockchain in the future. Works for me. Perfect. Hello, Damu. Well, hello, Nick. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. You know, first of all, great job with what you guys are doing. And I'm super excited about today because we get an opportunity to talk about something I'm really passionate about, which is the future. So thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here. Awesome. First of all, so your audience knows we are very fortunate to be outside of the major event that's happening in Dubai, this blockchain conference. And I'm glad that we stepped away. So hopefully if our listeners are hearing anything in the background, they'll understand that, you know, we are just hanging out and having a good time at this yep. major event. Yeah, sorry about that, folks. We've just put on an event. It has about 600 people in attendance. So we're, we're just moved into a side room to record this episode. Very cool. Absolutely. So Damu, introduce yourself. Sure. Again, my name is Damu Winston. I am an author, the, the author of a book called I Don't Trust You, But Blockchain and Bitcoin Will Help. It is my goal to really highlight that the the future that we know is really 
something really cool and creative and exciting. And most importantly, that's going to involve all of us. And it's really up to us to really make it what we want it to be. Tell us about your background. How did you end up First of all, getting into blockchain, and then how did you end up writing a book about it and the future? That's actually a good question. Yeah, so first of all, I've been in the region in Dubai and UAE and Saudi for really the past five years. And, you know, I actually came out here with my wife back in 2014 or so on vacation and fell in love with Dubai. The weather was amazing. We came here for our birthdays, January 23rd and 24th. It was amazing, literally. And we had no idea about the summers and no idea about the heat. But at the same time, I knew that the projects I was working on in the U.S., I felt like I could bring it out here and do some really cool stuff because I was, I was pretty advanced back in the States. But what I will say is this. Being out here, I had an opportunity to work on one of the first cross-border payment solutions on blockchain. And that actually sparked my interest. In addition to that, I started meeting a lot of people in the region who said they were blockchain experts or that they have expertise in that space. And after talking to them for more than about five minutes, you could realize that a lot of these people had no idea what they were talking about. So I was invited by Microsoft to be one of their local implementation leads to educate their banking financial services contacts on blockchain and artificial intelligence. And so I really just picked it up and stuck with it. And then I I realized that there's a a lot of people overcomplicate the technology. Even though it's like infrastructure technology, they would focus on the technical words like it's, you know, it's cryptographic and immutable and inoperable and all these kind of more technical terms. And I felt like if you really want the the masses to understand what you're talking about, you really have to find a way to make it digestible, to make it interesting. And so I wanted to write a book or some thought leadership that really helps, you know, take a complex idea and make it sound simple. And the first name of the book was called Blockchain Time Capsule. And I really wanted to try to capture you know, yeah, I remember we when you were talking about that. Right. Yeah, that was the first name. It was. It was like, yeah. I want to capture where we are today mm. and then where we're headed. Yeah. And then also I had that name because of the acronyms for Blockchain Time Capsule are BTC. Yeah. Mm. I was like, that's where it all began. BTC with Bitcoin. But along the way, I was like, you know, one of the big things that all these other authors and all these other people, are, I feel like they're missing about this technology is the trust piece. And that this is a technology that's enabling yeah. The new form of trust. And so I said, hmm, trust. Well, what's really abundant in the world today? <laughs> Not trust, <laughs> distrust. And so I was talking to a good friend of mine, Nader, and he was like, man, why not just focus, why, why not just focus on all the distrust in the world? I said, huh, I don't trust you. You know that, right? <laughs> and, and it kind of yeah. spawned off of that. But it really, you know, it came from him. I have to give him all the credit for the, the name. I mean, we really built on it. But I, I just knew that I didn't want people to just think this book is only about distrust. I wanted to understand just by reading the name of it that it's talking about what is the solution to the trust issues that we have. Today. Yeah, right. Before we continue, if anybody can hear, we, we brought in a six-year-old to the event to explain Bitcoin to all of the attendees because we, we have a lot of uh, corporate business decision makers attending and we thought to make it really simple for them to understand the six-year-old. So if you can hear in the background, that's what you're hearing. Thank you so much for clarifying that, Nick. I feel like she's killing it, too. She's oh, it. Everybody's in awe right now just watching yeah. her. It's crazy. If you could see what we could see, there's 600 people nodding their head going, oh, now I get it. 600? <laughs> and then all the guys turn and look at the lady walking past. <laughs> well, okay. anyhow. No, I, I really like that. I didn't know your neighbor came up with that name for you. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So 
So the idea of, okay, I don't trust you yes. is predicated around the fact that people have stopped trusting institutions, banks. Sure. This is something that's been in... Well, l- l- sorry. Let me yeah. just add to that. So yeah. think about it, right? BTC, mm. Bitcoin, came out in 2008. Yeah. What happened in 2008? Financial, financial crisis, crisis yeah. right? And so in the, during the time period between 2009, right after the financial, financial crash, between 2009 and 2010, we saw wealthy households in the U.S., their, their assets increased by almost 30%, whereas everyone else, the other 99% of the U.S., decreased assets by 5%. Mm. So this time period created even you know, more distrust. But let's add to that. When we think about what happened during 2008, the financial crash, we also have to remember that while these banks were failing, who mm. was bailing the banks out? Governments. Yeah. So when governments bailed them out, I was very fortunate enough to have worked for one of the largest banks in the U.S. during the time period. And I know for a fact the contracts that the banks were receiving were literally one page. That was it. And I guarantee you all of us who's ever received a loan or a mortgage, mm. you have 30 pages, 50 pages, etc. And so these companies, these banks that were receiving billions, I'm talking about $50 billion, yeah. were signing one page, a promissory note, right? But, mm. they, but the government had to do it because, for example, in the U.S., you know, one bank in particular, or probably others, had what we call 10% of the nation's deposits. So what that means is one in 10 people in the U.S., which is 350 million people, would have lost everything if this bank in particular would have crashed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so when that happens, that means the entire nation would be completely yeah. affected. And we're talking about there were multiple banks that were in this predicament. And since yeah. the U.S. economy drives the rest of the world's economy, if the U.S. crashed, then the rest of the world yeah. will crash. So the but it's also the, a, lo- a lot of these assets that oh, were sure. sold were also sold cross-border sure. and uh, a lot of banks, international banks, had exposure to all these toxic assets. Absolutely. So that knock-on effect increased dramatically as well. So, so to add to that, so what happens if they crash? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. if that happened, the, the governments would be affected as well. And so the governments were bailing out the banks, but no one was really bailing out the citizens or the people who were yeah. losing everything, right? Yeah. So combined with... The fact that the wealthier got rich and, and richer and the poor got poorer and poorer, it created what I believe a, a hyper distrust in the establishment. And this is why when we, you know, we think about when Bitcoin emerged, the Bitcoin, the peer-to-peer cash system, mm-hmm. right? And that emerged was October 30, sometime late October of 2008, yeah. right? That was the white paper. That was yeah. the white paper. The first transaction was in January 2009. So it happened at the perfect time where there's so much distrust in the world. And the idea, again, as, you, as we all know, was peer-to-peer. Yeah. So eliminating the need for banks, eliminating the need for the establishment like government, mm-hmm. etc. So the whole purpose of it, in my opinion, was to combat the, the trust in, in those other entities, in those mm. third party entities. And so, you know, I just feel like the book ties perfectly into that and talks about yeah. solving, how are we going to solve our trust issues? Another thing before I forget, hope you guys don't mind me jumping into this. But if we think about it, the way we trust now as a civilization, as a society has significantly improved or changed or a better statement, evolved. The way we used to build trust back in the day is you would, uh, was based on physical characteristics, the way someone looked, the sound of their voice, their uh, the firmness of their handshake, right? Or the way they look into your eyes. Absolutely. When I was growing up, I remember I had a father figure. He would say that, you know, when you're doing business with someone, you shake their hand, you look him in the eyes, mm-hmm. right? Nowadays, how many times have you gotten to an Uber or an Airbnb and all you look at is a rating, a five-star rating? And you, you go into the cab, you just say hi whilst looking at That's your it. phone. But, <laughs> but again, you have so much trust now 
that you're going to get into a random person's car or stay at a random person's house based on five stars. But that trust is diffused or, yeah, it's diffused because you trust the platform. So there's still trust in someone. I don't know if you even trust the platform. What you're trusting really is... Well, you are. Like, I trust my... Perception of... Of the people trusting. Of the people, that's right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're aggregating the the masses to come up with a a score. And but, But we also do know this, that some of these platforms are rigged. What I mean by that is... If, if, if you go on YouTube, I guarantee you can find people who, um, when someone posts something on, on Instagram, for example, there'll be people with iPhones and Samsung phones. There were just thousands of them, and all of a sudden, they'll just start liking a particular picture. Yep. And so you would think this new picture is getting a lot of likes, but in reality, it's all one person doing all these liking, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a fake world we're living in, and, and this, but this is just the new norm. And so we really need mechanisms, ways to help us find trust in our peers, even if we don't trust them. And I think the tool that's helping us with that is blockchain as one of the tools. What's the, the, the one piece of technology you're seeing at the moment yeah. that leverages blockchain that reduces fraudulent trust, let's yeah. call it yeah. that. So it's, it's trust that everything exists, right. like ratings, yeah. but it's actually genuine trust. Yeah, so... I think where we're going to see the the real breakthroughs, uh, or where we're seeing the most breakthroughs right now, are in the B two B space. In the what's right? B two B business okay. to business, mm-hmm. right? I think the permissionless, like the Bitcoin space, is not. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. But I, I think for the sake of this this time we have together, I think the real money is in the, the business to business or G2G, government to government. And so in my book, I talk a lot about uh, government chain, which is the concept that governments in the future will start to communicate with other governments. And so well, governments have to get to a point where they recognize the citizens they have are global citizens now, right? We're no longer, like, for example, mm. you're traveling to Iraq tomorrow or somewhere tomorrow, right? You're a global citizen and you just came from, I'm sure, some other country as well. So you're a global citizen. You you, our generation travels the most ever in history. Or we're, uh, hopefully I said it correctly. Which generation are we talking about? Because Well, you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. He's a youngster. <laughs> but when you say who, who do you mean? Uh, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> we don't want to start that conversation. Yeah, it's a whole other conversation. But, since, but think about it, right? So we're, since we're global citizens, you know, governments have, have to, are going to start uh, or have started to realize that as well. And so they're starting to communicate or collaborate more together. And so what I what I see blockchain as is a collaboration tool. It is a tool that allows multiple parties who typically don't trust each other to collaborate on common truths. Mm-hmm. And that's where mm-hmm. I see the value at. You know, crypto is what, what made it so popular and it will continue to make it popular. And the biggest reasons because money drives the world, right? That's yeah, true. of course. That's, that's the truth, right? And what I say in my book is I tell people, if you think about it from 2018, 2017, I think it was January 2017 to January 17th of 2018, the cryptocurrency market grew from $17 billion, that's the same size of Snapchat, to about $850 billion. That's, that's almost the same and size of dropped. Apple. And then it dropped. In one year. Well, well it, it <laughs> dropped for many day, reasons. Yeah. It dropped for many reasons. We can talk about that all day long. But the point is, we've never seen anything go from the size of, like, let's say, Snapchat to the size of Apple in one year. Yeah. So that that shows us what's possible, and that it gives us an op- that gives us insights or um, a, a store I'm looking for like 
perspective, like we can see that this is possible. So we can now imagine now something else that this is possible. Whereas before, we never saw anything like that before. So I do believe, you know, crypto will continue to grow. I'm a big advocate of crypto. I think, you know, governments don't like it for, I'm not gonna say, I think, I know governments don't like it because of, you know, the ability to control it from a taxation perspective or from a fraudulent fraud perspective or fraud monitoring perspective. But there's so much happening now. There's companies like C Currency, and I don't want to plug any companies that are not paying me. But if if you want to pay me, I, I'll plug some companies. But there are a lot of companies in this space that are trying to add, you know, KYC measures in cryptocurrency, and I think that's very interesting. There's companies that are doing a lot of analysis around how cryptocurrency is moving around and how you can try to you know trace it to the source. So uh, that that is interesting. But where I think the most interest is going to come from is where, where we have a market leader. Uh, market leader meaning they have a lot of user base. When they start adopting crypto, that that's going to create the the mass adoption. And so the one the one company that I know that's you know going to do big things will be Facebook. Even if mm. even if everyone else you know their their entire twenty eight companies you know bail, it it will still do well. It will still do well because they have mass adoption already. They have you know two point eight billion active monthly users. So simple fact that they roll out anything is going to get mass adoption, right? Just like if Google rolls out anything or Apple rolls out something. Or Telegram. Or te- well, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. I'm looking forward to that one. Well, well the SEC <laughs> recently uh, struck down a deal with them. Or Yeah, but it'll be a, it's probably just to make some money. Yeah, I won't, I won't so, be surprised. How much do you think they'll pay? What, like 20 million? They can afford it. It doesn't matter. Oh, wait, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. they, they raised, what, 4 it, billion? 1.7 no, billion. Yeah, 1. and 7. even if they give back yeah. the US investors' money, it's 424 million. So it's, it's peanuts. It's, yeah. uh, it's peanuts. Yeah, 424 it? million dollars yeah. is peanuts. Yeah. yeah. That's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, That's guys, nice. like, you know, Nick, he, for him, 424 yeah, yeah. million dollars is peanuts. Even so. Dubai, That's man, there's a reason cool. for it. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, was, Dubai, I mean, you'll spend that in two weeks, man. At maybe a week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell us a bit more about sort of the different findings that you've actually found. Sure. So different conclusions, different findings that you've made in your book. Because I'm sure you've talked to different people, you've done sure. a couple of interviews, you've, yeah. of course, done quite a bit of research. I have. Yeah. Hmm. Let's see where where do I begin. What's the one that strikes out at least the the one the one finding that that strikes out to you? Uh, I'll tell you this. What opened my eyes was I was looking at the top 100 economies in the world, mm. and I saw that of the top 100 economies in the world, 69 of them were corporations. Mm-hmm. 69 are corporations that are either the same size of countries, GDP, mm-hmm. right? Or they're larger. And I saw at the time I was looking at, you know, what kind of projects were governments working on, right? So the UAE, uh, Estonia, Bulgaria, Malta, etc. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, but they're actually country, I mean, actually companies that are bigger than corporations. And so why aren't corporations not looking at you know, crypto or, or blockchain. And then I started doing some more research and I saw that, man, corporations, I call, I call them modern, modern day empires. Yeah. That they're actually investing heavily mm-hmm. into this space, probably even more than governments. I'm not gonna say probably, I know more than governments. And I think that's the biggest finding. And so the question becomes, why are they doing that? And then you start taking a deeper dive and you see that because they see value in it. They see value in cost savings. They see value in creating new revenue streams that didn't exist before, et cetera, yep. et cetera. 
This is why I feel that if there was ever a race between private forms of, of money issued by co- corporates yeah. or central bank digital currency, yeah. I think corporations will win. It's, yeah, for sure, for sure. I corporations, think I think, are the ones who are going to drive yeah. adoption for cryptocurrency because they have the adoption. Yeah. The governments are going to be like, oh, snap. okay, we need to do this as well. Correct. And the way we're going to win is because we have law. Yeah. And we can shut them down. Yeah, so I talk <laughs> about that in my book. So I say this, there's only two kind of ways that you can stifle innovation, right? One is through regulations, which governments can do. Well, the U.S. can't do properly. Yeah. Well, I'm not commenting <laughs> on that, you know. I, I am a proud American. I love America, so I don't comment negatively on the U.S. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> no. And um, the second way that you can stifle innovation is by stealing talent. Right, stealing talent, and you're seeing a lot of that's happening now, right? And so the the big push now, you can you can even see this in countries, is that now they're trying to find ways to attract their talent that's going to other countries to come back home, come build home first, right? You know, back in the day, the U.S. They used to call it the genius card, which was the green card, and you know that concept may be changing a little bit now because of the current administration. But um, I digress. This new topic. <laughs> <laughs> So what will the future look like 10 years from now, according to where you are taking the book? Yeah, I do that. So my plan is to to take the the reader up to 2030. A couple of reasons. One of them is we believe, us futurists, we believe that by 2029, 2030, we'll have the first publicly known AGI, artificial general intelligence, which is like, you know, meaning that they have, if, if I'm not sure if, if the audience knows the difference between artificial narrow intelligence or AGI, artificial general intelligence, but in simple terms, think of the traditional AI that most people talk about as like speech to text. The future AI will be the kind of AI that has the same capabilities as a human being, but better at everything. And so we believe that we'll have uh, our, it'll be publicly known by 2030, 2029. So that's one of the major reasons why I wanted to go to that far because we call that the event horizon because we have no idea what the hell is going to happen post that period. It could be apocalyptic. It could be amazing. We have no clue. So I wanted to end it there because I don't even know. Does, can AGI replace co-hosts? Oh, for sure. Oh, okay. can do it now. I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, okay. can they do it now? Like so can duplex. I replace Nick? Google yeah. Duplex. Well, I, I was asking please? the question, so it's a pretty loaded answer there. Can I replace him? I mean, yeah. When I was uh, a few years ago, I was working on a project back in the States for uh, a large bank. And what we did, what we call electronic communication surveillance. And the idea behind it was to analyze all the communications that the employee was doing. And what we did was speech to text from audio. We also looked at other social media platforms, as well as what they sent via email, Blackberry, et cetera. And what we were able to do was figure out what's normal behavior and not normal behavior. And so I started, I, I did a, a, because of the learnings I had from there, one of my first startups in the region was called Universal Linguistics. And the idea was to try to create audio, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, we call it Uber for translators. So we would train our AI on the different accents. So we wanted to create the first Siri. And so what we, what we learned, the reason why we were doing this is because we recognized that the future Alexas or the future series, et cetera, are going to sound more and more human-like. And you want the the Alexas or your call centers that you call into for them to sound like a real person. So when you call a call center, you say, hello, and they'll say, hey, how you doing? Hey, and they'll have the same accent that you have. And so you'll be a lot more, you know. Dude, that's scary. 
Well, it's, it's already happening now. I and love so Google this, Duplex. This is That's what I for sure. Did. I would replace my salespeople with Duplex in a second. Yeah. And the thing is, I was doing this five years ago. And so I know now, because of some people that I know that work for Google, they are so far ahead. They have a thing called the, the Nuance Project. Mm-hmm. But the idea behind it is when people say uh, mm, things of this nature, this is our, our nuances. Yeah. And so they're trying to program that into these advanced bots. And so, the, again, the future of these advanced bots is they will actually, um, you know, be smarter than all of us. That's so a question. Oh, 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 this is important now. This might not be. Is there, a, is there a, a version of Google Duplex out there that people can use? Nope. Not that I'm aware of. Oh, sucks. Not that I'm aware okay. of. Okay. But, you know, there, there was a, a lot of backlash when mm. they did that announcement uh, about the... The uh, appointment, appointment booking, the appointment but then they yeah. limit it and right. stuff. And I was like, well, Correct. give yeah. us the technology. I can replace salespeople. No. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, again, I think that's going to become a B2B play first. Yeah. Because that's where the money's at. So can you imagine going to mm. every call center in the world? Yeah. So when I saw that, the, the announcement... I posted on, on social media. I said, if you're a personal assistant, if you're a call center, if you're sales, you're, any of that, you're instantly gone. Because, you know, again, four or five years ago, when I was working on this, this kind of stuff, we were able to take what we call it. I don't want to call it the learning bot. But at the end of the day, what, what we would do is you would take their, what is it called again? Man, I'm drawing a blank. But at the end of the day, just think there's a database of all the recordings that every organization captures. When they say, hey, this call is being monitored, nine times out of ten, it's not being manually monitored. It's just being recorded. And then if there's ever a problem, the organization tries to find which file was recorded mm-hmm. and they look at that file. Right. That's what most organizations do today. So what organizations like we were trying to do is, you know, instead of waiting to there there being an issue we would actually just scan all of the audio clips on demand right and then do some analysis around it so just imagine you take that a step further this again what i'm talking about is five years ago so we take it a step further you can now take that same technology that we did back then which learns and understands what people were talking about or or, or saying and you add a, a voice synthesizer on top of it we can sound just like the best salesperson instantly in the department. Oh, wow. Salespeople are, like you said. Oh, I'm happy wow. to replace them. I mean, just, just being honest. Um, so, so this, so this, how, how this is more, a bit off topic. But yeah, no, no. I, I wanted to see actually how this can be related to trust. Yeah. Because. How do I know it's a real person calling me? Yeah. Well, no, that, that is one. But yeah. okay, if I, if I choose this over a human, how could I trust it to do its yeah, job? So, or is it just yeah. results orientated? Yeah. So, so personally, one, I think in, in this example, that is results oriented. But. I think we as a society, I wouldn't even worry about that because that's not really the, the thing we can really control, right? So you, I wouldn't focus on the things we can't control. What I think the, the value that we're going to see in blockchains, uh, what I talk about in my third chapter and my fourth chapter, is I think we're going to see the emergence of more and more super apps, right? And are you guys familiar with super apps? Web3 by chance? No, so, so super apps, so think of WeChat, for example. I know you oh, know yeah, WeChat, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah? yeah. Think of Facebook on steroids, mm. okay? Payments, Uber, everything all in one app, right? And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Even in the UAE, I call them localized government apps, which are, for example, in Dubai, we have something called Dubai Now or the Ministry of Interior app, which is it may have 13 or 14 government services all in one app. Mm-hmm. And so what they're doing is you're, you're pulling what I call vertical or micro ecosystems or just call them, just think of a verticalized information. So if you think of a government app that has services for, for transportation and authority, that's one vertical. Think of another vertical could be all around health, healthcare. Another vertical could be all around, I don't know, food, 
right? But these are all different verticals that you don't necessarily want to communicate directly with each mm-hmm. other. However, what these super apps are going to do is that they'll have what I call a microservice to each of these respective verticals or micro ecosystems into one app. And so that one app would be you, would be your your personal app, and you would have, in essence, a private key, public key. So you have your private key on your device, and your public key is with each of those various services or ecosystems, various micro ecosystems. So when the app references or calls in the when that, I'm, I'm trying not to be technical because I'm not sure if the, the listeners are technical. But at the, at the end of the day, think of, it, think of it like this. You have one app that will then contact on demand the respective services that you need when mm-hmm. you need them. And your Siri of the future or your Google Assistant of the future yeah. will communicate with that. And it will all be trusted information all into one device. Right? And so you'll have trusted, separate, you have separation of duties. So each of the different micro ecosystems will have their own separation of duties. One could be dealing with healthcare, one could be dealing with transportation, one could be dealing with energy, et cetera, right? So they all, so in other words, you don't have to worry, worry as a consumer about GDPR and, and issues like that because the, it's all standardized the, within the all, That's right, it's all standardized and the, and the various entities are not communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest problem that con- consumers may have is that we think that where we do business, they're all communicating with each other. And yeah. that, and that creates privacy concerns, et cetera. But when you feel as though you're in power, you're in control, where what data is being used and when it's being used, you feel a little bit more confident. And I cool. think that's what, what we can focus our efforts on as a society. I think that's what we should be concerned about. But thinking about how can a bot fool us, I mean, that, that already happens today. So worrying about a, a bot, you know, trying to fool us, you know, when we talk to it, you know, that we should look at it from the perspective of let's use it to help us, to help improve our lives. Let's have that bot on our phone. That's our personalized bot that helps us manage our lives. I think that's more of so. In, in, in a day and age where a robot kills the first human, you, you'd be on the side of to be honest with you, pro robots. You know, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised that that hasn't already happened. Mm-hmm. We can talk about government entities today that have. I think it's called it's lethal autonomous something. A law, something like LAW, lethal yeah. autonomous. Warcrafts, I'm not sure. But in, in other words, they can kill people today on their own. Mm-hmm. They make, you know, decisions. So, um, look, that's a whole nother conversation that we will not have yeah, today. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to have that today. <laughs> All right, interesting. And so I'd say what what was one thing, so before we, we close off, what is one thing? Yeah, okay, before I forget, I want to go back to your point. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say I would be on the side of the robot or the side of the human being or any of that kind of stuff. I wouldn't get into that. What I would say is that we as, as a society, there's certain things that we're not, we're not going to know about unless we're involved in yeah. that type of industry. Of course. Right? And I think it's important that we invest our time and energy in learning about these technologies so that we can create things that do not exist today. And I think that's the, that's the beauty about being a human being is that we have this gift that none of the technology that we've built so far can do. And that is we can think abstract in such a way that we have one piece of information. We come up with something brand new that doesn't even exist at all. Whereas today's AI really is able to take what it knows and make it significantly better, like improve it, iterate on it, make it you know faster, stronger, better. But the, again, but the difference is human beings, we're able to take something simple and then apply it in a completely random, new, nuanced mm-hmm. way, right? We dream. 
our AIs currently don't dream, right? And so we, that's uh, until they can. Until they can. <laughs> and then again, that's why I call it event horizon because when we believe will be it'll become public knowledge mm-hmm. by 20, 2029, 2030. And at that point, that'd be a whole different conversation. Ahmed bot. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Ahmed yeah I'm, bot I'm a bot now. I'm okay. looking forward to it. All right. So, guys, I'm called Ahmed bot now. Yeah. I like it. It has, it has a ring to it. You know that. It's like AB. AB, well, that's my surname. That's my initials. Exactly. So, you just changed my surname. Way to go. Way to go. Yeah. No, but again, before I forget, I, I truly believe blockchain is, is really the now, right? There's a famous author that talks about, you know, AI is going to be like the electricity of, uh, of the past. So when electricity was first birthed, it was a big deal. That's how AI is going to be for our generation, right? But blockchain, I think, is just one of those infrastructure tools. And so one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, if you've ever made a phone call or WhatsApp or an instant message, et cetera, that's a utility the telecommunication provider provides to us. And so I believe that Bitcoin, for example, is like a utility of the, te- of the infrastructure technology that is blockchain. So blockchain is one of those non-sexy things. It's not sexy at all. It's a infrastructure technology. No one talks about telco, for example, right? But it's essential, at least in the way I talk about it in the book, it's essential to bookkeeping. So back in the day, from the earliest times in history, we would use tablets, for example, or we use Excel spreadsheets, for example, etc. These are all bookkeeping tools. Now for the digital age that we live in, blockchain does the same thing. It's the bookkeeping for the digital mm-hmm. age, right? And again, it's a way that allows multiple parties who do not trust each other to collaborate in, a, in an environment that builds trust. Typically when people do a research study or they write a book, they come in with a lot of assumptions. Yeah. And then after they finish that piece of research or that piece of that, that, that book, they're yeah. just like, oh, this is very different to what I originally thought. Did you come across that at all? No, nah, man. Honestly, when I got into it, one of my biggest reasons for getting into it was or taking, taking it further was because I just met so many phonies. So many people talking about that they were a subject matter expert in it. They're speaking on panels. They didn't know what the heck they were talking about. That's happening next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and when I, when I saw, when I started digging into it, I just realized it's just databases. It's just, that's all it is. It's just a database that we, you know, encrypt and we distribute, or as in we have multiple parties have the same ledger mm. that's encrypted and it's not a complicated concept and some people too many people try to overcomplicate it again it's infrastructure technology so it shouldn't be complicated it should be simple okay yeah awesome yeah great yeah was this in- informative today <laughs> no for sure not it was i mean it's it's always when it comes to a writing books and then writing books about technology right because there are so much out there how could you also sort of separate Right. How can I find that? that you know, right. you, you mentioned phonies. How can you yeah. say this is a phony book? This isn't a phony book. Right? I, I agreed. Man, that, right. That's why I said I try to focus <laughs> on a niche area. Yeah. Right. I felt like, again, most of the books that are out there, they really highlight the value of smart contracts, which there is a lot of value in that automation. Right. But I just didn't feel like a lot of books were really focused on that trust piece, just mm-hmm. establishing trust and how trust is really broken. Yeah. It's a broken thing right One now. One thing I forgot to add is that even we mentioned it on the panel during Jitex was that it wasn't just Bitcoin. It was also just the advent of fintech yeah. and trusting different types of people or right. entities. It's like there's still trust, but it's just placed elsewhere. Yeah. 
which is also just another alternative route. Yeah. And for and the reason why this is a, a win-win is because these young fintechs, they actually want to gain credibility. So they're like, you know what, we'll be transparent, we'll do this, we'll do that in order to get that initial trust. Yeah. Because on the other side of the table, trust is broken. And so oh, I just feel that when it comes to like, let's say 50, 60 years down the line, these young fintechs now become the, you know, the big guns. Yeah. Then they'll be, they'll be the ones who are mistrusted. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I feel there's this vicious cycle until maybe when blockchain really becomes infrastructure mm -hmm. that doesn't really necessarily need much trust in the, in the first place. Good so, point, you know. yeah, I don't know. I have these thoughts in my head sometimes because I'm yeah. like, okay, there will still be trust revolving in this vicious cycle until some math-based protocol comes in and just breaks it. I don't doubt that. You know, so one thing that I talk about in the book is this concept called the prosperity paradox, which is the difference between the abundance and scarcity. Okay. Right? And so there's a lot of futurists that talk all about abundance, the, the future is abundance, it's all about abundance, right? I'm sure you guys have heard this. And I tell them, you know, that that sounds good, right? But if there's so much abundance, that also means there's gonna be so much scarcity. And so the examples I talk about in the book is, you know, right now we're, we're seeing the shift from what I call silos, pipes, businesses that, are, that work as a, a single service offering mm. to platform base. Everything's going platform, right? All the biggest companies right now are platforms. And, and the reason being is because you're bringing multiple parties into a common platform. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. you can, from a customer perspective, you're getting a greater value, a greater price, a better price. Because so many people are competing for your business. Therefore, it drives the price lower and lower and lower until it's rock bottom low prices for the most part. There's a nuance to that, which is businesses that can create loyalty based on emotional connection. But excluding that, excluding those few businesses that are like that, that can do that the vast majority of businesses are going to compete on price. And businesses that are competing on price are run by people. And so therefore, people will have to lower their prices to rock bottom so that they can compete to get the customer's business. So from a customer perspective, they get a cheaper price, therefore they have more purchasing power, therefore they become more abundant. But if those same people are working for the companies that are charging less and less and less, that means they're making less and less and less and less. Therefore, it creates a scarcity model, right? Then you can take that same concept when we talk about employment. As jobs become more and more automated, they become less and less jobs. Therefore, those who are doing common skilled work mm. will have to compete on declining wages to get those same type of jobs. Gotcha. Therefore, it becomes scarcity. Uh, mm. increases the, the amount of scarcity. I forget where I was going with this, but just know that, that I, again, I, I call it the a prosperity paradox, but it really talks about the two the two different things. Yeah. Love it. When's yeah. the book out? October 24th. I'm really honored to be able to do my book launch at Dubai Future Academy, which nice. is the first 3D printed building in the Middle East. I will be, as far as I'm aware of, the first person to do something like this there. So it's a big honor to do it at, again, Dubai Future Academy on October 24th. Awesome. My book is live as well on idonttrustyou.net. I'm only allowing people to download the first chapter for free. If you want more, you know what to do. Great. Thank is you that, very is much. That, is that a token for that? Like, yeah. I was waiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Except Bitcoin only. Right. Uh, yeah, I like I Bitcoin. I was waiting for the punchline. You know? <laughs> no, I love Bitcoin. Yeah, I do. I love I love Ethereum as well. I love not 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 when it drops, but oh, man, no. look, I accept it all because <laughs> it's gonna go back up. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, how can people find out more about you? I don't trust 
I don't trust you.net is where you can find details about the book. I am on just about all social media platforms. The only one that I will accept you on is on LinkedIn because every, all the other ones I keep private for my family, which some people say I should open it up, but I don't want my whole life to be exposed just yet. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, cool. Great. Well, thank you so much, Damien, for Thank you so much on. for having me. Yeah. Was this fun for you guys? I had a good yeah, time. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was, yeah. We're going to take some conversations offline now. Yes. yes. Oh,